I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And welcome to our monthly bonus episode where we discuss cults and cult classics. Cult adjacent things, cult if you will. Adjacent things. Oh, and I will. I oh I know. Oh, well, we have like a roller coaster of of topics this week, and it's a Patreon pick. It is. I'd forgotten it was a Patreon pick because it had been on my to-watch list mm-hmm. for so long. Yes. Our, I love that someone moved it up on the list. I know. Our Patreon, Sarah, who mm-hmm. is an absolute gem, mm-hmm. just like so sweet, so amazing. She chose this cult classic movie, movie. that we're going to be discussing second. But I guess they already know what it is because they can see the, the title. Oh, yeah, so. you guys know. Yeah. At this point, we know, you we know. know, we know that you know, you know that we know that you know. We all know. Right We're here. all in there. It's been a long week. Oh, for sure. For sure. And to celebrate our Patreons and us surviving <laughs> and whatnot, um, we're going to pop some champagne, a little throwback. Let's do it. A little loud ASMR followed by a delightful pour. That's right. I'm going to try to do this the best I can. I got it. I don't know how to hold it. (laughs) There we go. You did so great with that. Thank you. This is a sparkly pink something. Yes, this is a Shandon Rosé. It is my favorite sparkling wine. Um, I thought Ray was going to propose to me. When we were um, in, so we we did get engaged in San Francisco, but uh, the Shandon uh, Brewery would have, or not brewery, winery would have been a really great opportunity in Napa, and yet Alcatraz would have also been a great opportunity, I though. I know. And given where we are now, I really hate that he didn't take full advantage. Yeah, he was super um, insisting on that picnic we took. <laughs> Picnics are great, too. Right. We love a picnic on the beach. Never been on a picnic before together, ever. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, not a red flag The first one was memorable. The first engagement? First engagement, first picnic. Yeah. So, it's a cult week. You kick us off first, now that we've got our champagne. That is right. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about the Unification Church. I've never heard of it. So they're also called Moonies. Like Mad-Eye? Kind of, but it's this person's last name. I grew up with a Mooney. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Is, is, is this a cult in North Carolina? Um, They're everywhere. Oh, well, that's international, but it started in Korea. Oh, probably yeah. different Moonies then. It's going to be my guess. Okay, so Sung Myung Moon was born January 6th, hashtag Cappy. Um, in Kwanjae Sungha, which is the northern province, which is actually in North Korea. So at the time it was just Korea, but it's now North Korea. Got it. So he grew up in the Presbyterian church and was very active within the Christian community. At age 16, Moon had a vision of Jesus in which Jesus told him to, quote, carry out Christ's unfinished tasks. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
So Moon believed that God chose him to save mankind and to be the next Messiah. I feel like that's a bold assumption, though most cult leaders make lots of bold assumptions. Yeah, you gotta be a bold person to think that you're a messiah. <laughs> you know, you I really don't. do. <laughs> All right, so he started teaching and preaching his own ideas in Korea in 1946. And only two years after this, the Presbyterian Church excommunicated him for heresy. Ooh, that was quick. Bloop, bloop. He was also imprisoned in North Korea. Um, for unknown reasons, it's like not documented. We know that he went to prison in North Korea and then he either escaped or they let him go. I don't think people escape from prison in North Korea. You think they let him go? I thought es- I thought escaping made more sense. I mean, from what I know about North Korea, <laughs> you don't make a move without everyone knowing exactly right. who you are and where you are. I so, just couldn't imagine that they would have let him go. But I guess but we don't equally, know what he was there for. We don't know either. anything. I mean, it could either been- way. In 1950, he was out. Okay, so he shows back up on the scene. Back at it again. Um, So then he went to South Korea. He then founded the church that would um, eventually be called the Unification Church. Mm -hmm. Um, So the beliefs of the Unification Church are as follows. Quote, according to Moon, the world was created from God's inner nature, which reflected the, quote, dual expressions of life. Sung Sang, which was casual and masculine, and Hyung Sang, which was resultant and feminine. Hmm. The purpose of the creation, Moon believes, is to express the joys of love. So keep, like, listen to the language here. The joys of love. Okay. okay. I love love. Adam and Eve. Right. However... They had sinned by misusing love. And in this quote, it has, in parentheses, fornication, which we're going to come back to. Um, And failed to realize God's purpose. In the wake of their failure, selfish love had dominated human existence. Mm. And God had sought to restore his original plan. So I'm assuming they're talking about the flood. Um, Or the birth of our guy, Moon. Or, yeah. So God's efforts at, quote, restoration, which require the intervention of a Messiah. So, in Jesus. Comes Jesus or moon. Mm-hmm. In comes it's Jesus. Okay. The intervention of Messiah have been continually thwarted. Although Jesus was able to create the conditions necessary for humanity's spiritual salvation, mm-hmm. he did not get married. And thus according to moon did not complete god's plan and quote we know we know we know we know do you want to share with the audience what we know no one else is in the room where it happened (laughs) are we talking about the book of mary yeah 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 yeah. so and we talked about that in synoptic gospels but we have a whole bunch of new people out there since then they may not true oh you guys should go back and listen to the synoptic gospels excellent episode um yeah but also conspiracy theory alert uh jesus may have been married jesus may have been married he oh you know who knows or he at least had the hots for mary not his mom not his mom not that kind of book (laughs) (laughs) i Um, mean it is that kind of book old testament that's true so speaking of old testament uh i had mentioned this on our uh synesthesia and childbirth episode but i was doing digging in the bible because i was doing both of my notes at the same time um 
So I was digging in the Bible, looking at the creation story, because I was like, God, I just don't remember Adam and Eve having sex. I don't think that they did in the Bible, did they? No. So I I went back because I was like, I know, like, I know. I mean, they had kids. So so they had kids. Exactly. So in um, the Garden of Eden, this is where where God talks about, you know, go and and, and multiply. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it doesn't say that they, like, Adam, quote, knows Eve until, like, chapter four when they're out. So we know that eventually they do have children. But they weren't, um, there, there was no insinuation that there was any other t- t- kind of sex other than to procreate, well, which is what the Moonies are arguing right. was, the, was the sin. So it, what, what the Moonies believe is that marriage is the key. Quote, through it, members of the Unification Church believe that the couple is removed from the lineage of sinful humanity and engrafted into God's sinless lineage. This is between marriage of people in the Unification Church. Got it. Okay. As a result, the couple's marital relationship and any children born after the blessing exist free from the consequences of original sin. Isn't that kind of why Jesus died, though? Like, didn't Jesus do this first? So, because he wasn't married... Right, I forgot. Yep. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. Wink, wink. Wasn't. I mean, we don't know. Well, we don't know. But, um, but because he wasn't married, uh, he did everything else. They're like, Jesus, you did great, but you didn't complete the mission. Uh, we got a new guy. We got a new guy, Mr. Moon. So, and I saw an interview with somebody uh, from the church, um, and she was a first generation uh, like she was, her parents had been married within the church. She was born. So she was. Uh, oh, fascinating. Yeah. So, so she's she like was, raised in the church. Yes. Raised in the church. So she was free from this original sin. And the parents were actually required to bow to their children. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of God complex that creates for your kids. We are going to talk about it. Oh, good. So mass weddings is something that this church is known for so tens hundreds and even thousands of couples are married in these mass ceremonies these couples are usually arranged marriages and one of the unique things about this church is that they try to make marriages as diverse as possible so there's a lot of like international marriages Mm -hmm. because this church is fucking everywhere Mm -hmm. and the older members of the church as well as the parents of the people who are being set up they play matchmaker. So they talk to families in other churches across the world, and they, they pair up these, these folks. All hetero marriages, by the way. Right. So the process of the wedding is as follows. And this is a quote from our good friends at Wikipedia. The traditional steps for completing the sanctity of the blessing ceremony is as follows. One, the chastening ceremony. The couple strike each other three times to symbolically make an end to sin and prepare for a new beginning. Second is the holy wine ceremony. The couple share a cup of holy wine or grape juice, symbolizing their engrafting into God's sinless lineage. Three is the holy blessing ceremony. The couple exchange vows. A prayer is offered by the officiators, and the couple is sprinkled with holy water. 
four, the separation period. The couple refrains from having relations for a period of 40 days, some cases even longer, but consummate their marriage after the 40 days. They're allowed to consummate their marriage for three days, and then it's encouraged to remain celibate for three additional years. Why? Isn't the purpose of this to have to have babies? Yeah. Yeah, but you got to get your mind right. So you get three days in a year and a month. Yeah. Wait, three days in three years and 40 days. I just days. agreed with you with that <laughs> hearing. So yeah. for, after after 40 days, so a month and, a, and some change, you can have sex for three days. And then after, and then. You and wait then not, three more years. You wait three more years. Why would anyone choose to join this church? That's a great question. It's unclear at this time. So the three, that's when they're allowed to, to get it on. So this is a uh, basically ceremony that reflects on the fall of Adam and Eve. Okay. So it's just a time of reflection and it's basically like their coupling with their partner is basically overruling the sinful actions of the OGs. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be thinking about Adam and Eve while I'm coupling with somebody. Mm-mm. Like, no. a lot of these are real downers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not Yeah, it's not as erotic as you would think. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure for those three <laughs> days, they're getting it. But. Uh, for sure. <laughs> no, but then, but I guess you have 30 days to get to know the person. I do kind of like that. I mean, if you're having an arranged marriage, you don't want to be forced to, like, That's sleep with true. the person the first night. That's a good point. So if you are meeting them the day of your wedding, which is common in some cultures who participate in arranged marriages, like Mm -hmm. 40 days is a reasonable amount of time to decide whether or not you even want to sleep with that person. That's true. Except at that point, you're already betrothed Mm -hmm. to another. So you're kind of stuck regardless. Yeah. But hopefully you got some kind of attraction there. I hope so. The couple takes part in blessing ceremonies where they um, commit to the, these next four vows. One, to become a true man or woman who practices sexual purity and lives for the sake of others. Two, to become a true husband or wife who respects true parents' example and establishes an internal family which brings joy to God. Wait, what was number one? I blanked out. Number one was sexual purity and live for the sake of others. Okay. Those are somehow related. Sexual purity, living for others. Mm-hmm. Number two, two. To become a true husband or wife who respects true parents' examples and establishes an external family which brings God joy to God. Okay, so have so kids. So respect your parents and have kids. Yep. To become a parent who educates his or her children to follow the tradition of true love for the sake of the family and the world. Be sure to make sure your kid's a cult member, too. Sure. And the fourth is to create an ideal family which contributes to world peace. So oh, I do like the world peace yeah, bit. That's kind of nice. Just like be a nice person, I guess. Yeah, D-bad. Yeah. Um, so it is important to note that some of these marriages were not legal marriages. This was just the ceremony within the church. Mm-hmm. Some of the couples were already married. Um or, you know, got married later, depending on where they were from, legally yeah. within their countries. So it's interesting because Moon and his wife were addressed as mother and father. And because he was the prophet, his marriage is seen as like the ideal family. 
So let's think of what this means within the family unit. So there are these marriages, and the whole purpose of the marriage is to create a pure lineage, essentially. So ultimately, you have these children being born into this church who are bowed to by their parents. They're told they're these, you know, amazing kids and and that they're born from the original sin. They're not born from the original sin. They are not born from the original sin. Exactly. You know, but I imagine that would be difficult because you're growing up, you're just a human and you're having, you know, thoughts growing up as a teenager or you're sinning yourself because it's ultimately impossible not to. Like well, what that would do for the mental health of these children. I think about this as it pertains to like purity culture and the idea of virginity, like virginity. These things are social constructs to begin with. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of taking that to a whole new level and indoctrinating young children with it. Similarly to how I think a lot of us were indoctrinated into um, like hardcore purity culture. Mm -hmm. Like purity rings are still a thing for a lot of people. Yikes. I know. I, yeah. Um, The band is good. I like the band. (laughs) There's a band called Purity Ring? Yeah. They're good. You should check them out. I will. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think that they're kind of taking social construct and developing it real quick. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so you, you do come up with a purity culture. But then this like conflicting idea that you are somehow like superior. Oh, for sure. And, and like, you know, also, uh, presumably there could be. Like, how does that relate to issues within your own family Mm -hmm. about your parents who may have just met hours before your, you know, before they were married or, you know, two people coming together that necessarily might not necessarily have anything in common. Right. So lots to think about. It seems flawed, like inherently flawed. Yeah. But the family unit is so strong and so important and in fact, um, members of the church are held responsible for sins committed by ancestors that have died. Seems a little ex- extensive. Like, let's, yeah. you know, keep it to living ancestors who can make amends. So, it, and it's the church member's responsibility to, you know, pay indulgences, do extra prayers, do all of these extra things to ensure that they are, you know, doing more than they can to make sure their ancestor shit doesn't come to haunt them. It's all about the money. Like, at this point, it sounds like the church just wants families to pay them yeah. to, like, forgive the sins of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here's, would you like to buy this snake oil? <laughs> it will make all of your dreams come true. What is that from? I just made it up. That wasn't a quote? No. It'd be a great quote. It's this musical I'm working on. <laughs> like a side hustle it's like whatever the musical is in my portion oh is it oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> duh <laughs> i don't listen that's the problem all right so let's talk about what either i've like asked you to repeat yourself at least five times during this uh it's okay let's talk about how it's when you die okay quote a unification funeral or sung kwa is a funeral ceremony for the purpose of aiding the deceased person's transition 
to the spirit world and to celebrate his or her life among family and friends. Death ceremonies are fascinating for me. Mm-hmm. I really... Can we do a whole episode about those at some point? Yep. Because I know we've talked about Egypt and, mm-hmm. like, the Book of oh, Two Ways, sure. but... I want to do more. Sorry. So what what did they come up with? So the Unification Scholars' writings on the church's funeral customs cite the divine principle, which says, quote, man upon his death. This is all such gendered language. It's driving me crazy. Man upon his death after his life in the visible world goes to the invisible world in a spiritual body. Having taken off his clothes of flesh... And lives there forever. The meat suit. 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 (laughs) They also note that family and other human responsibilities continue after death. You're not even done when you die. You can't even rest. No, now your kids got to pay off your for your sons. Yes, the unification movement does not uphold belief in reincarnation or eternal damnation. Unification theologian Young on Kim writes. Quote, you and I are going to live forever. What does immortality signify? We are thinking animals and loving creatures. Those two faculties show our kingship to the eternal God. They make us part of the infinite spirit world. We will think and we will love forever. Thus, our wisdom will continually grow and our love can be enriched, enriched more and more. There will be no sharp break between life here and life thereafter. What we start here continues in quality and expands indefinitely. The ever-living God creates each of us to have fellowship with him forever. So the Sungwa ceremony was introduced by, Sung- by Moon in 1984 at the time of the death of his son. So his son died in a car accident. And it was sudden. So um, this is when he started to, he, he was very much starting to be interested in communicating with those who had passed, right? So he claims to have spoken to a number of very important figures, such as Jesus and Muhammad, Buddha, other prophets. So some would argue you know, that he's going and reaching through these spaces and saying, hey, I talked to so-and-so, and this is what you should do. So a lot of people thought that that was a manipulation tool. Um, the rest of the, the ceremony um, is that they are wrapped in a unification flag, um, and they do prefer burial hmm. uh, to bury the bodies. However, I know in like countries like Japan... They um, sometimes won't allow burials. I mean, Japan just doesn't have a lot of room for burials. I know, I know. So I don't know. I don't know if it's mandated cremation or if there are certain loopholes you can jump through. Um, I have a contact. I'll ask. Oh, yeah. Ask Ayaka. So why is this a cult? Why is the Unification Church a cult? Um, I think there's some pretty obvious reasons This is my conclusion paragraph. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Continue. (laughs) Uh Unification Church is a cult because. (laughs) So the use of control, I think, is like obviously the biggest one. Um, And they do take away your family. So, you know, uh, organizations like this 
tend to make you feel like this is it. We have the answers and nobody else does. So you should just, you know, kind of stay and hang out with us. Um, one member claimed that he was part of a fundraising team for the Unification Church. And if members of his team did not meet the quota for the day, which was a hundred dollars a day, um, they weren't allowed to sleep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And because he didn't want to require anything of his team that he wasn't willing to do himself, he would often go without sleep. And this all kind of came to an escalation where he got into a car accident and ended up in the hospital and finally was separated from the church for a significant period of time. And he had reached back out to his family who he hadn't been in contact with. And um, he says that they were able to like, quote, deprogram him. And it took him weeks and months to finally admit, you know, that he had been manipulated and that it was a cult. Um, And he is now a mental professional. A mental health professional? And he is now a mental health professional. (laughs) I love that journey for him. There's a whole group of they call themselves exvangelicals, so previous evangelicals, yeah, um, who talk a lot about religious trauma mm-hmm. and um, what it takes to deprogram a lot of the teachings of the church. Mm-hmm. And I can't like that's generational, like oh for sure, all that shame. I mean, yeah, ugh. yeah. Um, a good friend of mine calls herself a recovering Baptist mm. because she's like learning how to cope with all of the shame that she, you know, had forced upon her growing up. Yeah. And I can only imagine growing up in a, or being part of a church or growing up in a church or cult where you've been further isolated from people, where your parents have been brainwashed. Like, yeah, the deprogramming that that must take has to be pretty extreme. And you know what I think is so unfortunate is that like religion can be so beautiful. And although I am not a religious person, I have a bachelor's degree in religious studies and communications. It's something I'm very passionate about and I think can like move mountains. Mm -hmm. And people give religions bad names. And I just, you know, everybody should be open minded, but it just sucks when you ruin it for the masses. Yeah. When I was in grad school, we talked a lot about spirituality and religion. And I'm actually going to do an episode on the psychology of it because I think it's interesting. And there are different developmental levels around religion. Um, But for so long, I was closed off to the idea of even considering religion because Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we'll get into more of that later. Right. But the idea of spirituality is so important to positive mental health. Like mm-hmm. ha- there's a lot of evidence that shows that having a connection to something bigger than you yeah. is good for you. Yeah. It helps um, with the purpose. Exactly. Part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it should not define your morals. Like you should be a good person because you're a good person, not because uh, the spaghetti monster told you so. Right. But um, I just think it's really interesting that we conflate spirituality and religion and cults and kind of mix it all up yeah oh for sure 
Yeah, put it in one bucket. <laughs> you just mix yeah. it around. And sometimes that Venn diagram is more like a circle. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we've got a lot of unlearning and relearning to do to figure out how to do this in a really healthy way. Oh, for sure. Speaking of circles, my sister texted me after listening to the synesthesia oh, yeah. episode. And she said that her calendar is a full circle. So mine is like, <laughs> we're almost the same, but mine isn't closed. Right. Which, first of all, I thought was so funny because she never listens to the podcast. And she's maybe she, she will may and then now. she'll text yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, going forward, but, um, I think she's definitely hooked. But uh, so I, maybe it's genetic. Who knows? Who's to say? Who's to say? I don't know. We'll have to do some twin studies, research, mm-hmm. figure out if it's genetic. Right. We're not twins, but yeah. No, I know, but you're, you look very <laughs> We similar. could be. We told each other one year our New Year's resolution was to lie more. And um, <laughs> we started, because people would always ask us if we were twins. You right. Know, younger, we looked a lot more alike. Um, but, I think you guys still look a lot alike. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. But she, anyway, we were we were going to tell people we were kids, so some, or twins. So, um, but anyway, so the Unification Church. Oh, right. So they grew, and they're everywhere. And there's, like, so, so many members, and it just continues today. The mass weddings continue. In fact, one of the most famous weddings was uh, thousands and thousands of people, and they sold out Madison Square Garden and did this huge ceremony. Is that not how you and Ray are going to get married? No, it is not. No? You're not getting married (laughs) in a mass wedding ceremony? No, and the 40 days thing, you can forget about it. (laughs) Hey, fiance Ray, Forget how do you about feel it. about that? Forget about it. Um, so that is the Unification Church. Well, thank you. I learned so much. It is just so interesting. So let's move right in. Yeah, let's dive into Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Let's do it. So I was, I know that we don't talk about intersections, but I was definitely thinking about intersections because I'm now programmed to. Oh, for sure. And there are a few. Um, The cult members who are not allowed to have sex with their partners probably have angry inches. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, for sure. Um, Also, there's a whole love thing that we're going to talk about that's prevalent in both stories. So... Two intersections already. Link up there. Also, just the um, loneliness of being in Berlin at that time. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'll, well, but I'm, that's jumping to ahead. <laughs> All right. So one of my goals is to now find the shortest plot summary that I can. Um, because I think that they're really funny when they leave out all of the key, all the details oh. and like just give you the key elements. Beautiful. So we are talking about Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Mm-hmm. The shortest plot summary I could find says this is a, quote, genderqueer punk rock singer from East Berlin who tours the U.S. with her band as she tells her life story and follows her former lover who stole her songs. Beautiful. I thought so, too. Oh, I think that's good. Nice and succinct. Oh, for sure. You really Very got simple. it all there? Mm-hmm. Uh, one Rotten Tomatoes reviewer Mm -hmm. said Hedwig may very well be the next Rocky horror. It not only knows how to rock, but Hedwig's story has an emotional poignancy. And I agree. Oh yeah. Such Rocky vibes. 
total Rocky vibes. And I hate that you and I did not watch this about the time that we were really into Rocky. Because, mm-hmm. of course, you were in a Rocky shadow cast. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get, we'll, yeah. we'll cross that bridge. Oh, yeah. But um, I think if we had gotten into it about the same time, this would be a regular rotation for us. Oh, for sure. So this is a pretty complicated storyline. I'm going to give us a little recap. I want to talk about Hedwig being a trans icon. Um, I'm going to be quoting a lot from an article written by Harmony M. Calangio. Um, and I will have their website and our resources for this week. Or you can Google Hedwig and the Angry Inch, uh, colon, trans icon or problematic disaster. Whatever you do, go read this article. <laughs> it's I am fantastic. intrigued. Because, yeah. like, there's so many layers. This is, like, totally an onion situation. Exactly. And I just, like... I am so thankful for our Patreon who picked this for us Mm -hmm. for this month. It was exactly what I needed. Yes. It's funny, but dark and twisty and just the music. I'm going to be listening to this uh, soundtrack for a while. Mm -hmm. Like I was listening to it while I was typing my notes. Oh, yeah. So I think Sarah knows us really well. I think so, too. So Sarah and our podcast got connected because they also listened to Could Have Been Heroes which oh, we cool. partnered with for a previous call episode. Right. And so just the that podcast was, world is all connected. Yeah, that was our Tammy and the T-Rex episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'm Shinrikyo. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. yes. So, um, but just a genuinely nice person. I really like her. <laughs> <laughs> we have the most incredible people. I know. Who listen to us. And I love that they're also interactive on our oh, Instagram. Oh, for sure. And like... I feel even at the pod prom, I got to meet um, one person. I got to meet Ashley. Mm -hmm. And that was incredible. I just feel like we know so many people now. Yeah. Yep. We're all first name basis. I love it. Basi? Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Okay. So Hedwig and the Angry Inch, little history for you, Mm -hmm. was originally an off-Broadway stage musical in 1998. Okay. So was, that's when it first debuted off-Broadway. Okay. So like, in the U.S. or in... So off-Broadway basically means that there is Broadway, which right. is a street. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, so in New York. Got it. In New York City, yeah. Okay. So anything that is off-Broadway is at one of the lesser theaters yeah, around right. Broadway. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was like thinking of Rocky, which also started in the theaters in London. Right. I was like trying to compare them. Yes. We're in New York. Got it. We're in, we're in the U.S. We're in New York. Um, we're in the mind of John Cameron Mitchell. Three names. Three names. So he says, I don't think he's killed anybody. Well, you never know. We never know. Here's a little fun fact Rooney for you. Okay. John Cameron Mitchell wrote the script, the music, directed, and starred <gasps> in the original stage production and the movie. As? As Hedwig. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, John Cameron Mitchell came up with the idea for Hedwig mm-hmm. and did the, all the music. Well, I think he had some help with the music. Um, but It's so impressive. Yeah, and then he revived it for the, for the movie. Can you imagine writing a full anything? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. I have a degree yeah, in English. You can. Okay. I have written plenty. I'm so impressed by that, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I had a 400-page book stolen. 
I know. I got. I passed your old apartment today. <laughs> Why and I on thought earth just were that. you? I was going to get uh, lunch. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. I took the long way. <laughs> it was <laughs> clearly. Um, yeah. So that's a story for another yeah. time. Yeah. But yeah. So how cool though to see it not just like something you wrote, but something you also directed and starred in. Yeah, that's incredible. That's a level I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, it's Hamilton, but yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Lin Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Hey, Lynn. Apparently, it happens more than we think. Also, with three named players. Oh, definitely oh. killed somebody. Definitely, yeah. Also, Neil Patrick Harris, our third three namer mm-hmm. in this conversation, uh, did the 2014 revival of Hedwig and the Angry Inch on Off Broadway. On On Broadway. Unclear this time. Oh. So first it was John Cameron Mitchell. Then it left Broadway. Then they did the movie. Then they revived it. Oh, in I'm sure they did. 2014. And Neil Patrick Harris played Hedwig. <sighs> Wouldn't you, you know, just love to see that? That's like a like a, a Brandon Yuri and Kinky <gasps> Boots situation. Don't even say it. I saw it. I know. It was so good. Oh my God. It puts everything else I've seen. I can't to even shame. look at you. <laughs> I just want to talk about musicals forever. <sighs> we should have done a musical podcast. <laughs> I guess we'll continue with this one. For now, at least. And we might have a branch off at some point with just musicals and books and history and religion <laughs> and psychology and history. We're going to keep doing what we we're doing. We just have like the nerd, the nerdiest audience, and it's just the absolute best. Continue. Okay, thank you. So, um, here's a quote from the movie that's also going to lead us into our topic. The quote is, how did some slip of a girly boy from communist East Berlin become the internationally ignored song stylist barely standing in front of you? Which is just a great line. Mm -hmm. So Hedwig says this to an audience while she's recounting parts of her story. Mm -hmm. As mentioned, Hedwig is from communist-occupied East Berlin and experiences some childhood trauma. Uh Uh-huh. Hashtag trauma. Um... When she's young, Hedwig's name is Hansel and uses he, him pronouns Mm -hmm. um, and identifies as a cis man or cis boy, kid, child, wee babe. babe. It is heavily implied that Hansel is sexually assaulted by his dad at Mm -hmm. one point and Mm -hmm. ends up being raised by a single mom Mm -hmm. in poverty. Um, As a teen, he meets an American army dude named Luther. Oh my God, don't even get me started. (laughs) <laughs> who convinces Hansel to marry him and move to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So just real quick, did you pick up the nod to Hansel and Gretel in like the luring Hansel to him with candy? No, I did not. But I, now I do. Right? So he leaves like little pieces of candy okay, and Hansel that, like, picks it up. So if you have not watched this movie, this is like a very trippy movie and it doesn't necessarily follow like a linear time frame. So definitely if you haven't seen it, stop it, go watch it. I saw it on, I got it on Amazon. Yeah, it was like three bucks. Obviously there's going to be spoilers, but he low key is creepy AF. Oh, for sure. Creepy AF. Not even low key, like high key. High key. 
he is a sugar daddy, as made apparent by leaving candy for Hansel. Like, and they like, he's slap got the, him like, in the face with it. Oh, jeez, Louise. Yeah. He's like, I got you these gummy bears. Yeah, we hate all of it. Yeah. Um, so, Hansel meets Luther. Hansel's mom is also named Hedwig. And she agrees that because gay marriage isn't really a thing yet... Um, that if Hansel's going to move to the U.S., that he needs to become Hedwig. Mm-hmm. So she gives Hansel her name, and they figure out how to schedule a sex change operation for Hansel. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying gender confirmation surgery on purpose. Okay. Because it doesn't seem as, the, as if this is a thing that Hansel slash Hedwig really wants. Yes, it is. Okay. Let's, yes, I'm glad you brought that up because it is very much like a situational thing that's like brought to Hedwig. Right. Um, as a option to get out. Of communist occupied East Berlin. Correct. Yeah. So there's, um, again, in this article, I read several articles, but in one of the articles I read for this, um, there was commentary about whether or not Hedwig would even identify as trans because this was not a decision that she made based on her gender identity. She does, however, continue to live as a woman. Mm -hmm. So if she had not had the sex change operation as a means to an end, she may have never and probably would never have transitioned. Mm. I, oh God, I don't know. There's no way to know. There's no way to know. Um, Quote, she lived as a woman because she was working with the hand she was dealt and because she felt her identity was taken from her by the men in her life. Like, there's so much to unpack with this movie. One of the things that I would really, like, I almost wish I had researched this movie before we watched it because I understand it so much better now. Mm -hmm. Teach me all the things. I'm I'm ready. Yeah, but but maybe it's good. Maybe people should listen to the full podcast and then go back and right and like pick up on some of these things. Like what was taken from her by the men in her life? Because this sure. story is basically about her relationships with men. Her father, Luther. We're getting into the other two in just a second. Um, oh, okay. Keep going. Yeah, this is gonna be like a forever long episode. Oh, I know. Okay. Um, so about her sex change operation, Hedwig says, quote, my sex change operation got botched. My guardian angel fell asleep on the watch. Now all I got is a Barbie doll crotch. I've got an angry inch. Mm-hmm. So that's where the title comes from is yep. her angry mound of flesh. Correct. And that's also what, what she calls her band. Yeah. is the angry inch, not yeah. the angry mound of flesh. <laughs> uh huh. So, anyway, she ends up in Junction City, Kansas. Who the fuck wants to be in Junction City, Kansas? Shout out. (laughs) And her husband, Luther, who Uh she moved to the U.S. for, ends up leaving her for a younger guy almost immediately. And she's, like, in the middle of nowhere in, like, a double wide. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's, like, this very solitary feeling where you see, like, the camera pan out and she's, like by herself it's like totally alone totally isolated yeah yeah so what does she do hedwig forms a band of asian army wives Mm -hmm. um and ends up falling for a young guy 
it's unclear if he was a fan or if she was like babysitting him. Yeah, that's what I understood was that she was babysitting him. Yeah, but he was also like sort of a fan. Um, And they end up going into music together. His name is Tommy. Um, and Tommy ends up eventually leaving Hedwig and becomes a big rock star himself, mm-hmm. taking all of her songs. Yeah, we're breezing right past the bathtub scene. Got That's it. a special thing you got to watch for yourself. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. Because I also, like, there's a fine line between talking about the movie and, like, recounting the movie. Oh, for sure. And you and I will be recounting this movie for years to My come. My question is, is he of age? Unclear at this time. Oh, okay. Was Hansel of age when Luther picked him up? It's it's e- like, okay, okay, you're right. Yeah. So the story of Hedwig and the Angry Inch is basically Hedwig following Tommy around with her band, the Angry Inch, who are now a bunch of uh, Eastern Europeans on the run from immigration. So we started out with like Asian army wives, mm-hmm. and now it's a group of Eastern Europeans. Very interesting group. Regardless, let's talk about Hedwig real quick. Okay. One of the things that stands out to me is that Hedwig isn't actually that likable. Like she isn't cuddly or soft. She's brokenhearted and lashes out. She's a bully, like severe mood swings, emotionally abusive. Um, like she's darkly funny and mm-hmm. lovelorn. But she's just raw. Like, she is just who she is. And there's very little positive to say about her for the majority of the movie. Right. Absolutely. Her makeup is on point. For sure. Other than that, she kind of (laughs) sucks. The hair, though. All the wigs. All the the wigs. The blonde ass wigs. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. I had some... uh, I was having some Moira Rose vibes. Oh, Five with sure. The, with, with, all the, <laughs> with all the wigs that her then partner, husband, I'm, is yeah. taking care of. Yeah. We're getting to him in just a second. He's also interesting. So interesting. Okay. Um, but yeah, as a character, I didn't love Hedwig. What I realized at some point was that I'm not supposed to love her. Like, I'm not supposed to understand her or want to, like, empathize with her. I just need to know who she is. Mm -hmm. And this movie does a good job of just showing me the truest form of who she is. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some other themes flowing throughout this movie. Love and Obsession plays out. Um, One of my favorite songs was Origin of Love. Do you remember Origin of Love? Yes, I do. Because they, yes, that was really cool. It was really cool. So it's based off of Plato's Symposium. And it has this, like, adorable animation that I don't think we see again throughout the movie until, like, maybe the very end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Well, at that point, you can visualize it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's about being a product of the need to reunite with someone's other half after being split apart. So this was kind of Plato's theory is that you were... We were all once two people with two heads and four arms and four legs, and the gods got angry, so they separated us. Mm-hmm. Um, Hedwig says, quote, It's clear that I must find my other half, but is it a he or a she? What does this person look like, identical to me, or somehow complementary? Does my other half have what I don't? Did he get the looks, the luck, the love? Were we really se- separated forcibly? 
Or did he just run off with the good stuff? Or did I? Will this person embarrass me? What about sex? Is that how we put ourselves back together again? Or can two people actually become one again? And I just... Oh, it's like gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it's on the backdrop of this trash, like... I hate to say trash movie. The movie was great. Mm-hmm. But... It's like a cult film to the T. Yeah. Look up definition of cult film and you're going to get Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. Um, but it's just so raw. like And endearing. So, and like relatable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I loved all of it. Um, so on top of the love issues, of course, we have to talk about queer issues. And we can't talk about queerness without talking about Tommy who is pretty religious. So again, another intersection. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, when he meets Hedwig, um, Tommy asks Hedwig if she has accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hedwig says, no, but I love his work, mm-hmm. which is my new favorite comeback. I know. I've heard of him. I've heard of him. He's got good shit. Mm-hmm. Um and ultimately, Tommy felt, falls in love with kind of the idea of Hedwig mm-hmm. and leaves her because of her inch and his inability to accept her. But Which she has is fallen like such completely a topic. for him. Like, straight men, like, I don't know if it's fetishizing or, or they're, I don't know. We don't even have to get into it, but. I mean, some of this I really want to get into, but I know that we can talk about it for hours. Mm-hmm. Like. Was Tommy straight? Was Tommy queer in any capacity? Right. I would get. I would guess. I. I think yes, he is. I so think, and Tommy is is the like love interest that she's like following around with the band. Right. Right. So the the love and the obsession is like very clear from the Hedwig side. Like she cannot let it go. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's only just because he stole her music. I think it's because she's hanging on to something. Right. But from his perspective, yeah, I think he's definitely queer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what's, again, interesting about Tommy and Hedwig's relationship is that what ultimately reunites them is that Hedwig hits her very lowest point. Right. Right. um, And begins to engage in sex work, which ultimately brings her back to Tommy. Mm -hmm. And finally like results in this great plot twist where she's the one who ends up with the fame. Like Mm -hmm. they're in a big car accident and she's the one who gets all the press from it. Right. So like, I think we can just kind of see the ways that Tommy and Hedwig don't work and don't fit together because no one's going to fit with Hedwig because Hedwig has some deeply held trauma that she's working through Mm -hmm. but she's wanting acceptance from this person Mm -hmm. who denies her so let's talk about hedwig's third love interest yitzik i'm hoping i'm pronouncing that right yitzik Mm -hmm. boyfriend yeah Mm -hmm. so quote it's really unclear right it's really unclear okay um here's a quote for you although it's unclear in this movie Mm. In the musical, Hedwig describes how she has agreed to marry Yitzhak. He is a Jewish drag queen from Croatia. Um, after Only after extracting a promise from him to never do drag again, 
Hedwig seems afraid that Yitzhak of Yitzhak becoming more feminine than she is and being paid more attention to. And Yitzhak bitterly resents Hedwig's treatment of him. Okay, I was wondering. To further the musical's theme of blurred gender lines, Yitzhak is always portrayed by a woman. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. So in this movie, uh, Yitzhak is Miriam Shore, mm-hmm. um, who was not someone I was familiar with. But um, it is indeed a woman. So it's. I was wondering about the, like, he always sleeps in a bandana, for yeah. example. And so I wasn't, I, I never caught on to the original that, like, he was, like, a drag queen. And yeah. it was, like, the dynamics of their relationship that they had agreed upon. Right. I think okay. it's something that we need to watch two or three times to sure. really pick up all the nuances yeah, of their yeah, relationship. Yeah. Because it's the relationship that's active in this movie. It's the only one that's current and right. not being told um, from Hedwig's past. Oh, for sure. There, Yes, absolutely. So while she is chasing this guy that stole her music, she's currently dating slash married to, unclearly, this, this guy. Right. Um, but, like, there's a very early scene where you see him, like, put on one of her wigs. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that makes a lot more sense. Now. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so Yitzig eventually gets the role of Angel in a production of Rent, yeah. which I loved that yes. like little nod to Broadway. Oh, for sure. Um, I really like when shows have those Easter eggs where they're picking up on other shows. They're just fun. Anyways, Hedwig, um, again, is emotionally abusive and afraid of abandonment. So she destroys his passport so that he can't leave to go to the international production of Rent. That was really tough. Yeah. Who like, would do that? Like, that's... that's abusers? Just, that's tough. Yeah. But, I mean, Hedwig has been abandoned by the first two people that she loved, mm-hmm. one of whom she's still actively in love with. Right. And here's a person that she doesn't seem to really even like that much. He's right. like, I'm going to leave too. Yeah. And she's like, no, the fuck you're not. Right. I'm tearing up your passport. Oh, so hard to watch. Like, so much trauma. Um, But she wasn't written to be likable. Right. Like, as an individual, she's just, she's selfish and emo- emotionally abusive. But it's a survival thing, mm-hmm. which we're about to get into. Um, but first, let's come back to being a trans icon. As an individual, we can agree that Hedwig is not our favorite. However, she is a sincere representation, quote, not as a trans character, but as a character in a story about trauma. Mm. Uh, this article that I referenced earlier said, quote, she has figurative and literal scars from being physically and emotionally exploited throughout her entire life, and every facet of her identity is defined by it. A character's arc is is defined by specific events that impact their further decisions and actions. This is true to life, particularly amongst those with trauma. It's a safety precaution and one that cannot be expected to be an upstanding beacon of morality if they have unaddressed trauma and emotional issues when the best they know is how to just survive. Mm -hmm. And that was Hedwig's entire life is abandonment and loss and abuse and she has learned how to survive. Mm-hmm. She's not thriving. No, not thriving. So obviously, it is not great 
Like people right. should not, you know, exhibit that behavior. Abusive behaviors. Yeah. Yes. But we understand it when we know her full story. Like we understand where As the behavior comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's still not still not saying it's okay that she did these things. Mm-hmm. We just understand it. And I think that that's kind of the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a story not about transitioning, though it does cover the complexities of gender without over-explaining or trying to make things neat and tidy. This is a queer film that was, quote, not made with straight audiences in mind. Mm-hmm. Hedwig's mission is not to educate you or to tell you things you already know. Amen. At most, she is there to entertain or maybe inspire, um, but those exist outside of morality. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it's There's no discussion. Like, this is a queer film yes. made for queer, or queer musical, yeah. made for queer audiences. Mm-hmm. We are unpacking this as queer individuals who can talk about the complexities of gender and who can talk about the complexities of trauma without passing a ton of judgment on who Hedwig is. And a lot of media we see, like, surrounding queer culture is about, like, coming out or explanations. And, like, they're literally just characters that are people. Right. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm so... And this movie was... and, And show were ahead of their time because a lot of Hollywood is still in like the coming out movie phase. Mm -hmm. Like every movie is about coming out. This one, Hedwig is not coming out. Like this is just about who Hedwig is as a human. Right. Fully operational as an adult, just like fucking going through life. Yeah. What Hedwig wants above all else is to feel seen for who she is, not as the person that others make her to be both physically and emotionally, but for who she wants to be in that respect. Hedwig's story is one of the best in the overarching trans community because deep down, isn't that what we all want? Trans woman or not, Hedwig is an unclassy masterclass in gender expression, perseverance, and identity, and Mm -hmm. deserves the spot that she has earned in the Hall of Fame for trans characters. Yeah, for sure. A thousand percent. For sure. Like, five sure, five sure. (laughs) Six sure. Like, Mm -hmm. It just does not get better when we're talking about um, this type of character. Like, Mm -hmm. the trope that she fulfills is poignant and powerful. Okay. Um, So, in the closing of the film, we see that Hedwig's half-moon tattoo is now full. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Uh, Implying that she has completed herself and doesn't need anyone to feel whole, after all. Mm -hmm. Um, And... So that is basically how some slip of a girly boy from communist East Berlin who went from internationally ignored song stylist barely standing before you to one of the most recognizable trans figures in pop culture. Now, real quick, I have one more fun fact for you. Oh, I love a fun fact. So, of course, John Cameron Mitchell and Neil Patrick Harris are like the two most well, well-known people to play this role. Mm-hmm. John Cameron Mitchell, because he wrote the role, starred in the original, starred in the movie. Neil Patrick Harris, because he's Neil Patrick Harris. (laughs) Yeah. But there are three other people who are (gasps) interesting, um, two that you have not heard of, 
and one that you have. Okay, okay. Um, who have also, quote, donned the blonde wigs of Ooh, Hedwig. Love it. So I'm going to start with um, the one that you do now. Okay. Okay. Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs? Yes! Tay Diggs. Diggs. A cis black man did... Oh, Tay. Oh, I fucking love Tay Diggs. Oh, my God. That's a, that's amazing. I almost met him once. Oh, you did? I sat right next to him at an Adina Menzel concert when they were married. <gasps> I forgot about that. Yep. He was wearing red chucks. I was wearing black chucks. You I was like, a baby. really felt connected in that moment? I really did. Um, the second one is Ali Sheedy, who's a cis woman. So they had a cis woman play the role of Hedwig. Okay. And the third Beautiful is, name. Sorry. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Is Jinx Monsoon, who's a non-binary drag queen. Love it. Oh, I love the diversity. So I love that they are casting characters and casting actors. They're outside of the gender binary mm-hmm. to play a character who's outside of the binary. Oh, for sure. Um Anyways, I am now obsessed with this movie. It is, yes. It is so much smarter than me. I can't even. <laughs> um, it's so much smarter when you really start to like think about it and unpack it, but it's really just a fun watch. Oh, for like, sure. Like, it's a super trippy and, like, movie. There's a lot of singing. So yeah. if you haven't seen it, like, get ready for some singing. Um, but what I love, like, this, the, the cult episodes, like, I always learn something about these movies, because yeah. I, I watch them preemptively, because, like, we're going to talk about it, but I wish I had the knowledge. I know. That's exactly what I said as I was, re- or what I was thinking as I was researching, was I wish I knew all of this yeah. prior to watching the movie, because now I'm going to go back and watch it and mm-hmm. see all these things, and I'm going to have even more thoughts I want to share with oh, you. Oh, so beautiful. And thank you, Sarah, so much for choosing this topic. Sarah, if you've got any other movie suggestions, girl, slide into these DMs. Get your girl. Let us know. We trust you wholly at this point. Wholeheartedly. And if you want to choose a topic... Head over to patreon.com, search for us. We are under podcast without an audience. No nudity. No. <laughs> None. No. Our only fans. No, just kidding. Um, so you get our close friends group on, on, on Instagram and we post all of our like selfies and like stuff in our personal lives that are happening. Let's be real. It's a lot of our pets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have oh, you yeah. seen them? They're so cute. I recorded a video this morning of Dolly eating my hair oh but you can't see it maybe i'll post it did i send you the one of moby eating my hair no oh send it to me and then we'll post it yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it'll be like a collab situation you can't I love see a anything good collab our little white cats oh tiny well dolly's not tiny but moby is moby is <laughs> um but thank you guys so much for listening we love doing these call episodes if you support us blink twice and if you're out there keep listening Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaudd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.